As we continue our studies in the book of Luke, I just want to remind you that Luke wrote this gospel so that we would know Jesus Christ, so that his friend Theophilus, and so every one of us who reads it would have this confidence that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. The main focus of chapters 6, 7, and now in chapter 8 have been mostly focused on Jesus' teaching. Now, we're always learning from Jesus, watching what he does and what he says. But those chapters, the focus was on what Jesus was teaching the disciples. We have the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are those who do this in chapter 6. There were faith lessons taught about when the centurion's servant was healed because he believed that Jesus could say a word from a distance and heal. There were implications that Jesus taught about John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist and what does it mean if he was the promised prophet that would come before the Messiah? There were lessons on forgiveness and salvation in Simon's house. Do you remember the woman, the sinful woman who came and anointed Jesus' feet, washed his feet with her hair, and Simon was questioning who Jesus was, and Jesus taught about what forgiveness means and salvation and what it means. And then last week we looked at three parables, the parable of the soil, the parable of, um, yeah, I just went blank. What was the three parables? It's a quiz. The soils and the family, and I can't think of the middle one, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Look it up in chapter 8. <laughs> now our attention is refocused on what Jesus does. Four miracles, we're going to look at two today. Luke wants us to see these miracles because, again, he wants us to remind us who Jesus is. The disciples knew who Jesus was, and yet they seemed to doubt who he is. Why? Because Luke wants us to know, God wants us to know, Jesus really is God, the promised Messiah. Does Jesus really have the power to deliver people from evil, to deliver you from evil, to change your life so that you live differently? Does Jesus really have the power to raise us from the dead and conquer death's curse? The disciples asked, who is this? Well, we're going to look at that today. Who is it that can stop a storm, calm the waves in an instant with a word? What do you think? And what difference does it make in our lives if we really believe Jesus is God the Son? Well, let's take a look. Who is this? Jesus' identity in, in the first uh, four verses, verse 22 through 25. We see the disciples are getting into a boat. They're going to cross the lake. Who is this? Storms on the Sea of Galilee, by the way, if you don't know, and I only know this by reading, <laughs> the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Okay, so think about how level, you know, the sea level, and then it's 700 feet below. So that adds a little bit of air. And that means it's warm on the water's surface. And surrounding the Sea of Galilee are high cliffs, high hills. So there's cooler air up high, warmer air down low. Cold air goes down. It hits the warm water. And storms can be stirred up in a moment, in an instant, 
ferocious storms, and that's what it seems like happened here. Cool air drops, hits the warm air, and storms pop up instantly. Sunny and beautiful, all of a sudden, boom, there's a storm. A whirlwind storm hits the boat, and these experienced fishermen who are in the boat, there's several of them there, are terrified. They're fearful. They're experienced fishermen. They've been in storms before, I'm sure, but they're terrified. And what do these fishermen do? They turn to Jesus. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? Fishermen turn to a land lover. Do you know what I mean by that? Someone, a teacher, someone who, who is a carpenter's son, someone who always lived in the land. Fishermen who are used to being in boats turn to a man who doesn't know a whole lot about boats and say, help us. Why would they do that? Luke wants us to get the point. Jesus is more than a teacher or just a carpenter's son. He's more than that. The one who designed the laws of nature where cold air hitting warm air stirs up a storm is the one who with a word can override nature's laws because he created them. Struggles of trust. Think about this for a minute. What did the disciples know up to this point? We've been going through the book of Luke. What did the disciples know about Jesus already? Well, they've been taught by him a lot of great truths. They had witnessed so many miracles, healing of sickness, limbs restored, demons cast out, blind receiving their sight, a great catch of fish, the dead were raised, and yet they're in the boat with the Son of God, the one they've seen do this, and they're afraid. A severe storm shakes them to the core. Jesus had said, we're going to go to the other side. Why did they doubt that they wouldn't get there? Jesus is always going about his father's business. I'm sure God would get them there, but the storm hits, and they're afraid. And you know what's great? They take the right action. Jesus, they turn to Jesus for help. Master, master, we're, we are perishing. Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing or that we're about to drown? That's how Mark puts it. It seems like they're doubting God's care. Jesus wakes up. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves. He says, be quiet, be still, and it's done. And then Jesus asks the question. Luke puts it this way. Jesus asked, where's your faith? Matthew puts it this way. Why are you so afraid? Mark puts it this way. Do you still have no faith? What did the disciples, what do we just learn about Jesus and our beliefs if we imagine ourselves in that boat? And Jesus looks at us and asks those questions because... He's actually asking you and me those very questions today when we're facing things that upset us when we're afraid. Where is your faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Ouch. Israel struggled with it. Have your Bibles open. Turn back to Exodus chapter 14, classic story. You're familiar with it. Exodus 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. 
Sounds like a storm to me, a different kind of storm. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what you said? we said to you in Egypt, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. They had just been delivered from the Egyptians by mighty plagues that God brought on the Egyptians to set them free. And yet here they were, afraid in the storm. I have Psalm 106 listed as well. I would encourage you to take a look at Psalm 103, Psalm 104, and Psalm 105 sometime today, and then read Psalm 106. You know why? Because Psalm 103, 104, 105 talks about everything that God has done for his people, how faithful he is, how merciful he is, how he treat, doesn't treat us the way our sins deserve. It's just this amazing description of all that God is and all that he does for us. And then Psalm 106. So let me just read a few verses because it's, it's our response. It was Israel's response. Psalm 106, verse 6. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We've committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet you saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. He led them through the deepest, through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, and they sang his praise. And then listen to verse 13. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. <laughs> Isn't that you and me? That's what happened with the disciples here. They had seen Jesus doing so many great things, and yet in the heat of the moment, in the middle of a storm, it was all erased from their memory. They couldn't believe in God. We struggled to trust God, too. They were thinking Jesus didn't care. Wake up. Don't you care that we're about to drown? It's almost like they were thinking, I like to think like this. I, I guess I do think like this. It's like, did they think Jesus was trying to get rid of them? Like, I'm going to trade you in for another better 12 disciples? <laughs> no. That's not how our God works. God is not like us. That's how we think. You know, I'm a little tired of you guys. This isn't working out. I'm going to go look for some, some new people to maybe carry on my mission. But God's not like us. He doesn't get bored with our dullness or our, our, our failures. Our, he doesn't get tired of our failings. He doesn't even get tired of our bad habits. He came to save us. He's not like us. So Luke keeps adding this information in his gospel. Don't miss this when you read through the gospels. Never miss this truth. He keeps repeating the gospel writers. The Holy Spirit keeps repeating these truths because we forget how faithful God is in the middle of a storm in our life 
And he wants to remind us the greatness of our God and our Savior. The only way we can miss that God loves us and cares for us is that we want to miss it. You know, it's like looking at the soils last week. Which soil is my heart? Is it the good soil or is it rocky or thorny and weedy? Or I just, I'm on the path and I don't even care. What person could not see, would see this miracle in the boat and not believe that Jesus was God? But there was one. His name was Judas. Just a reminder, God is transcendent. He's set apart. He's separate from all he's created. He is above it, and yet he's right here in the middle of it. Psalm 89, I just, I love these descriptions. Listen for a few verses. Psalm 89, verse 6, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is, mighty, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. And the world and, and all that is in it, you have founded them. There is no one like the Lord. The Apostle Paul picks up that same thing in the book of Colossians chapter 1. It, let me just read a few familiar verses. Speaking of Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In other words, he's number one. He's preeminent. There's no one above him. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus wasn't withholding anything from these disciples. He loved them, and he was taking care of them, and he will never fail us. A.W. Tozier in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and Mark graciously put that up there. I would recommend this book to anyone to read because it is a great classic work. I read it every two or three years. I come back to it every two or three years to remind me how great my God is because I forget. If you have been doing the uh, English Bible study on Sunday mornings or in the Spanish Bible study on Sunday mornings, this is a great follow-up. It's written devotionally. It applies who God is to everyday life and the impact it will have on your life. The chapters are short. There are some thines and thous and thys in it, but just replace it with you and yours. When you're reading those things, it's a great work. I recommend it highly. It is a classic. And it's thin. And it's relatively inexpensive. I have an extra copy if you'd like one. I give them out all the time. It'll change your life. Listen to what A.W. Tozier says in, in this book. I have one, a couple quotes. Whenever God appeared, the results were the same an overwhelming sense of terror and dismay, a wrenching sensation of sinfulness and guilt. 
It happened to Abraham. It happened to Moses at the burning bush. It happened to Isaiah when he had a vision of God in heaven. It happened to Daniel. It's happening to the disciples in this story. They're in the very presence of God. And they were filled with fear, reverent fear. Whenever God appears, and we just ask God to open up the floodgates so that we could see him. But be aware, if you want to see God in his glory, you are going to be knocked down and humbled, and you're going to bow your head. Think about Job. You know, he, he had a good life, and God let Satan take it away. And when God appeared in a whirlwind, and spoke. What did Job do? All arguing stopped. All his complaints to God stopped because he understood who God was. And these disciples, and we have the privilege of looking here and saying, look at the power, the mighty power of your God and Savior. And be quiet and be humbled. All arguments stop with God when we catch a glimpse of who he really is. You know, we, the bride of Christ, we're not as enthralled with our bridegroom as we ought to be. He's an amazing God. There are events in our lives, storms as it were, that can make us feel at risk, like the disciples were experiencing here. They had no control. They'd given it their best shot as fishermen in the boats, and they needed help. And they said, wake up, Jesus. Don't you care? And some of you experienced that maybe this week, taking a stand at work that could risk your job, or maybe you've been laid off, a severe illness in your family or a friend, an unexpected tragedy, an accident that takes a loved one away, a breakdown of a key relationship, life's bumps that cause us to doubt God's goodness. So what's Luke doing here? He's reminding us in four verses, he has two questions, and he gives us two truths. One of the questions is the one Jesus asked, where's your faith? And that's a call to you and me to just say, wait a minute, I need to check out my faith. I need to, to, to know Jesus more deeply. I need to understand God's ways and understand that he's going to be with me through the good and the bad. And then the disciples ask a question, well, who is this? Well, that's a question, and the answer is you need to pursue God. You need to chase after God. You need to get to know who God is more deeply and mature in your dependence on him. Who is this. Well, we see his powerful strength and might. The next miracle, healing of the demon man, we see Jesus' powerful authority. They cross the ocean, the ocean, the Sea of Galilee. Three gospel writers record this story because they're compelled to, because they want us to know that God is reaching out to the Gentiles. Why do they highlight this? Because Jesus' mission is to the world. So he's not just reaching out to the chosen people, the Jews, but he's going to Gentile territory where they are there in the, in the land of Israel. 
And this is a terrible situation. There's multiple demons. So this is a really the, a deep sense and presence of evil that's in control of this person, this man. There's a variety of responses to this miracle. We're going to see that. There's four miracles that are tied together. We're looking at two today. And there's a lot more than just humans involved in this story. Hey, do you ever wonder about that herd of pigs? That's a weird part of the story, isn't it? But it's a picture for us of what demon influence, demon presence, and the evil it brings into the human experience. What happened to the pigs is what's going to happen to people who do not know Christ and believe in him. What are the characteristics of demon influence or demon possession? Well, in verses 26 through 30, we read, first of all, this man who was demon-filled, he had many demons in him. There's this disregard for personal dignity. He's running around naked. Socially isolated, he's alone, he's living in caves, he's living in the tombs. These demons recognize who Jesus is, but they control this man's speech. And they're shouting, and there's extraordinary strength, and the physical and the mental symptoms are terrible. And the whole, the worst of it is that this man is controlled by powers that are totally opposed to God, opposed to God's kingdom, opposed to God's peace, opposed to God's blessing, opposed to God's joy, opposed to everything that God created us to know and to experience when sin entered the world. What did happen to the pigs? Well, there was death and there was destruction, and they jumped into the Sea of Galilee. The sea in the scriptures, by the way, is often a symbol of the abyss, the darkness of hell. You know, when you jump into deep water, you can't see down, so it's a mystery. And you'll notice the sea in heaven is what? It's crystal clear. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing dark. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's a picture, those pigs dying and, and, and drowning themselves is a picture of what was going to happen to this man if Jesus did not come and rescue him. People, don't miss this. It's a picture of what was going to happen to me and to you if Jesus did not come and rescue us, did not die for us, did not call us to himself. It's a picture of where we would come. But Jesus did come, and he suffered, and he rescues us. He has the power and authority to do that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this man was experiencing nothing of that. He had no part in any of God's kingdom riches. He was an outsider, separated from God, lost, lost in the gloom of sin and evil. And he needed a savior. And Jesus came to give him life and the riches of God's kingdom. It's a picture of us people without Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds us, and I can't tell you, I was thinking about this this morning, how many times do I turn to Ephesians 1 and 2? 
when I'm preaching, teaching. Listen to what God's description is of us. Many of you are familiar. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were like this man before you knew Christ, before Christ brought you to himself, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The blessings of God are, are listed in the opening chapter in verse 1 and then in later chapters, but I won't take time to read them, but we're blessed. We're given a new position. Think about it. Think about how powerful Jesus' salvation is, and think about this demon-filled man and what he didn't have. What you didn't have before Christ saved you. What did Satan tell Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Oh, go ahead and eat the fruit, and you'll become like God. Well, this man is a picture of how unlike God we are. But Jesus came to make us new creatures so we can actually reflect and become like Jesus Christ. That it's the gospel, the good news. How powerful Jesus' salvation is. God's loving mercy that sent the Savior the world needs is amazing. Spent a little time there, but that's a picture of what we are without God's new life in us. But then Jesus heals the man. He cast out this legion of demons. They jump into the pigs. And the man's changed. Look at verses 34. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. And then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. So what a beautiful picture. A man who was isolated and alone and naked and running around and no one wanted to be close to this guy. Would you want to be close to this man? I wouldn't want to be close to this guy. And now he's quiet and he's sitting at Jesus' feet. That is a beautiful picture of, of knowing God. Tax gatherers, gatherers and sinners coming to hear Jesus and to experience his forgiveness at his feet. Crowds of the sick and the demon-possessed coming to Jesus, being at his feet to be healed. Children coming to be blessed by Jesus, sitting at his feet, sitting on his lap, being held in his arms. Mary and Martha, that's coming in Luke chapter 10. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and being taught. A sign of belief and love and growing trust. And my question is, am I sitting at Jesus' feet? Did I sit at his feet this week? This man is dressed and in his right mind. He was helpless before. He was a wild man. I can't imagine what he appeared like. His appearance and behavior would, would drive people away. And now you could be near him and feel safe not uncomfortable. 
the man wanted to stay with Jesus. Remember, he said, get away from me, Jesus. What do you have to do with me? Now he wants to be near him, his new benefactor, his new friend, his savior, the one who transformed him. That all makes sense. It's interesting about the, the responses, isn't it? The variety of responses. The locals are seized with fear. They're afraid of God's power. They were afraid of this man, demon possession. That's something to be fearful and afraid of. We shouldn't dabble in witchcraft or anything that has to do with a dark spiritual world. We should avoid it at all costs. It's dangerous to mess with it. But they were saw that Jesus cast out all the demons, and now because they did not know this God or who God was, they didn't understand who Jesus was or his true character, it would even be scarier, wouldn't it, if you didn't know who God was or how merciful he was? If he can cast out those crazy demons, what's he going to do to us with his power? They were blinded by darkness, and they were afraid of the light. And I ask you this morning, is that you? Does faith in Jesus Christ terrify you? And if it does, ask yourself why? What voice, what darkness, what lies are you listening to that would make you turn away from the way, the truth, and the life? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? The demons know who Jesus is. The disciples were asking questions like, who is this? The demons knew. They recognized who Jesus was. They had to obey his commands. They had no power to resist. They kind of fought all the way. They tried to negotiate. We don't even know if their wishes were fulfilled. We don't know what really happened with them after they went into the ocean, but I have a feeling that they were sent to a holding tank. I just want to say this as well. In Western cultures, demons probably do not act like this in our culture. Do you know why? Because we're scientific. Because we're rational people in Western cultures, our culture. But that doesn't mean they're not active, that they're not here. They're influencing the messages that you're hearing and seeing on your phones and watching on your stream, streaming. Be careful. They have influence ideas. They encourage destructive behavior. They encourage excesses. They have a doctrine, and they teach it. They speak it in world culture, drinking drugs, lust for possessions, lust for power, lust for, lust for unnatural and forbidden sexual desires that God wants to protect us from. And nature is groaning, it says in Romans chapter 8, under the curse of sin. And we are groaning as well under the curse of sin. And we need spiritual armor that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This healed man wanted to go with Jesus. Why did Jesus not let him come? Wouldn't he have benefited from hanging around with Jesus and the disciples? I mean, talk about a discipleship opportunity. Why would Jesus send him away? because there was work to be done back home. 
So allow your Lord and Savior, this one who can calm the waves with the word, the one who can cast out a legion of demons without any trouble, choose your field of service and then serve him well there. So are you just stuck at home? Serve Jesus well there. You're not really stuck at home. At school, serve him well there. At your workplace, serve him well there. On the sports field, serve him well there. By God's grace, by his power, by the power that Christ has, strive to be as consistent as you can be by his mercy and grace, wherever you are, whoever you're with, so a clear explanation of the greatness of Jesus can be seen. Who is Jesus? I want you to do something for me. Let's see what time. Yeah, I got a minute or two or three or four. <laughs> right now, I'd like you to think, what have you learned or been reminded of from Luke's gospel this morning? Is there anything about Jesus? Can you put it in a sentence or two? And you can either think to yourself, talk to yourself about what, what you were reminded of or learned today about Jesus, or talk with a neighbor right now. I'm going to give you a minute to do that, just to share what you were reminded of today about who Jesus is and what he can do, what surprised you or what, what you knew but needed to be reminded of. Is there something you learned today? Tell yourself, speak to someone right now, or later today, make sure you tell someone what, what you heard about Jesus today. Go ahead and do that. Take a minute and think or share. Where, where is our faith? Have you entrusted your life into Jesus's care? Can Jesus be trusted when one of those unexpected events so, so to speak, a storm comes to your life. What did you learn about Jesus today that you can cling to to help you through that, to grow in your faith and trust? These two miracles, and there's two more coming, help us to re just remember who Jesus is, that he cares for us. The Spirit recorded these events so that we know Jesus, so our faith grows, so that we live well for God, better for God, like this changed man, so that you can be a blessing to others and, and point them to Christ. Let me encourage you with this closing verse about that reminds us that God holds on to his own. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus came to snatch children away from Satan. Satan can never snatch us away from our God. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you now to remember your great love and care, your death, your burial and resurrection that gives us life. Lord, teach us more about who you are so that we revere you in, with all fear. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.